Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Yeah. Are we good? Good. Sweet. Uh, Let me just pray real quick um, before we get started. Lord, uh, just so thankful for you and thankful to be here together, to have the honor of opening your word together and getting to try and understand more about who you are and uh, your plan for us. We're so delighted to have this chance, God. Pray that you would just speak Speak to us through your word this morning, and uh, yeah, just pour your love out onto us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, as Tim mentioned, we're going to be continuing our series, Just Jesus, uh, where we are focused on who Jesus was uh, amidst truly trying times. Uh, I know it's been actually like a month or so since our last uh, since our last Just Jesus uh, message. So just a quick refresher on uh, on what we've been doing. As Tim mentioned, we're going through the book of Mark, uh, and real quick, John John Mark is very likely the author of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it is also very likely that Mark was the first of all of the Gospels. Uh, and it was definitely written for the Gentiles in Rome, uh, or, or very, very likely written for the Gentiles in Rome, which means that Mark was writing for an audience, uh, for an audience that had never met Jesus. He was writing to describe what Jesus was like and what he was about for people who had never, uh, honestly, a lot of people who maybe had like never heard of him. Um, so yeah, if you have your Bible, turn to. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Uh, And could I get someone to volunteer to read that for me? It's 16 verses, so kind of lengthy, but it's not super long. Anybody? Which verse is that? Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Thanks. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If the kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself, who is divided, he cannot stand. His end must come. In fact, 
No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up his strong. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Uh, oh, yeah, through through fact. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. The crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Thank you, Amanda. Oh, so hefty passage for sure. Uh, and does anything after first read uh, stick out to anyone? Anything that was uh, was particularly interesting? pretty like pretty aggressive like and then I mean it also yeah I mean we can also keep in mind that he was basically claiming to be God um, so I, I suppose like they were like uh, potentially if you don't believe that's probably a pretty crazy thing for someone to be claiming definitely you know C.S. Lewis has a lot of comments on that like um, he's claiming to be God so therefore he can either be like he's crazy or he's telling the truth yeah. like it's like it's one of the two yeah, yeah. I just uh, I mean, thinking back to when we last spoke I mean, it was like that, that was the passage where it was like the height of Jesus' popularity people were coming yeah. from like all around the region all you know north south east um, you know and he had to like preach on the water because people were pushed literally like a mob thinking about it's just quite a juxtaposition here to like I mean he is like celebrity of his day everyone wants to be at with him and then to have his own family like this guy's crazy um yeah and it's it's it shows kind of the complexity and also like the humanness and just some of the the stuff that Jesus had to go through and you know he's like rejected or like dismissed maybe it's a better word dismissed by his own family um, you know, how did that how, how would he have like received that I mean we, we mm-hmm. got an insight into it it doesn't seem like it bothers him that much but it would bother yeah. me you know like, yeah. if, if I was so quote unquote successful you know for the whole region but yet the people closest to me just dismissed and mocked me yeah definitely I mean he can't even he can't even eat because he's so popular uh, and then his family is like, yeah, we don't believe in, in you at all. Uh, anything else? I mean, I, I've been, I'm, I'm looking forward to explaining it. Because verse <laughs> <laughs> like, 20 and 21 seem really odd to me. You know, he entered a house, the crowd gathered, so they were able to eat. Oh, that sounds positive in my head. Right? Even though he's kind of <laughs> When his family heard about this, they said he's out of his mind. I don't understand that. That weird 
that those two doesn't seem to make sense at all. But that's kind of what it says. So, so it's hurtful for him, but it's also really odd, like why they would re why their hearts are reacting in that way to all these people who want to be around Jesus. That's really odd. Yeah, it definitely is. We're. I'll unpack that a little <laughs> bit. I'm not, maybe not as much as you want me to. <laughs> I feel like the connected to take charge of him bit is, to me, there's like a money or probably or well, some kind of family connection. To yeah, that. that's interesting. We're worried about you. There's, you know, you can't even take care of yourself right now. Like, oh, this is growing out of hand or something. I, I think, yeah, I think that's ultimately like what it is, is probably concern. I mean, his his mother should certainly know who he is like she knows she knows that she did not have sex and then gave birth to a child like something definitely happened uh there that she's probably a bit like yeah there's good reason to believe that he's uh that he's different than than most um and so she probably like believes in him but uh but it's like, well, he can't even eat. Like, this is just too much. Like, and uh, we need to, we need to control him. And, and it's probably like a like a real motherly instinct, at least from Mary. Uh, and then uh, I, we know, like, kind of. I think at this point, uh, it seems a bit like his siblings didn't believe in him, and so they were kind of in a different boat. Um, and they were just like, look, you're going to cause problems for us. Like. You're, like, taking it to, like, the religious leaders and, like, everyone's going to be like, wait, isn't that your brother? And they're going to be like, oh, uh, I mean, yeah, they're like, we need to control him. It's, like, ultimately, like, really what's happening. Like, getting out of hand. Like, it yeah. started out okay, but this is, like, yeah. too much and it's going to reflect on it. Like, they're failing. Everyone knows. Like, yes. Like, yeah, if absolutely. Yeah. So now he's like close to home. Yeah. And it's like everyone there thinks they know who Jesus is. <laughs> and I just wonder, you always know, think for myself, like, I think I know who he is. But like when he gets really close to home and he's really showing who he is, like, do I not panic a little bit? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you're different than I was thinking, you know? Yeah, yeah like uh, my vision for who you you're not quite fitting into my vision for who you were. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if, which it seems like, at least part of what he's doing is like, you know, casting out demons, basically. Yeah. That, I mean, I haven't had a lot of experience about that, but a little bit, it is pretty terrifying and weird. And I guess maybe part of what, I don't know how, how familiar they were with that, but maybe that it's not just that he's healing and teaching, that particular aspect of Christ's ministry, you know, setting the demonized free is such a you know weird kind of you know sort of scary thing isn't it you really do see the power of the demonic and mm. you're like that is no joke you know mm -hmm. it's one thing other elements are, maybe that's part of why they're like freaking out they're just like this is actually quite scary you see the raw power of god doing that yeah yeah i think 
One thing too I noticed, um, so in the past, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were like challenging Jesus and questioning him, and Jesus was, you know, answering back. But they're, at the very end of the last passage, it says that they started conspiring to kill Jesus. We haven't seen them actually like act that out. We've just seen them questioning Jesus. But here, you can see them actually bringing accusations and trying yep. to reposition things against Absolutely. So there's there's a shift in the strategy of the, the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, and so um, so it's almost like upping the ante a little. This is the first confrontation that's not just like intellectual challenge or interpretation of the law, but actually absolutely. Like, this guy, they're trying to recast Jesus not as holy but as demonic, you know, mm-hmm. which is that's, that's yes, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big shock. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, uh, really great. Um, I'm very excited to like unpack this for sure. Uh, it's a it's a hefty passage, really, um, really difficult. Uh, but I'm excited. House divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If you haven't figured out by now, we're going to be talking about politics today. And how we all need to have the same party because that's what Jesus would want. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, This passage really, and and Tim kind of just highlighted this, this passage is the culmination of sort of a series of head-to-heads that Jesus has had with the scribes like up until this point. This is going to be like the final interaction with the scribes for now. Uh, they, They won't come back for a while in... In uh, Mark, we won't really see them until Act 3, so to speak. Not to be confused with Acts 3, where they are not present, uh, although they are present in the first verse of Acts chapter 4. This, uh, this is going to be like the last time that they're, uh, they're interacting with him, and it's like the climax. So as such, like, this passage starts really intense. Like, we talked about it already. Jesus' family is literally saying, like, you're out of your mind. Like, you're out of your mind. We need to come and seize you. The Greek words, like, actually basically meaning, like, arrest. Like, they're like, we're going to, like, bind you uh, because you're out of your mind. And then, like, right afterwards, the scribes are saying, like, hey, you're, you're demon-possessed. Uh, we've seen exactly what you called out, Tim. Uh, they've, they've disagreed with him on theology and they've they've tried to like trip him up in the past but then just previously they were like you know what we need to figure out how to destroy this guy and so they come they come in in Acts chapter 3 in verse 22 they're saying you're demon possessed this is like this is their accusation this is almost like this is their strategy like that's what they're going to like be going for in order to try and undermine his ministry uh, so this passage really starts very intense, but ironically, it ends very intimately with Jesus looking around and saying, everyone who does the will of God is a part of my family. So it's like this like starts like really shots fired. And then like the end, it's like Jesus like unfazed, like, yeah, everyone who's sitting around is a part of my family. Like, and that's, it's really, really ironic, I think. 
but one of the things that I noticed, and I think that Mark is really highlighting in this passage, is the way that Jesus like came and redefined like what family was, and ultimately we'll talk about how that like redefined what like allegiance looked like and what loyalty looked like, and he's also uh, giving us like a hint and uh, really like our first clue as to like why why that's so important, why Jesus did that. Uh, so the first thing I want to cover is uh, is how Jesus was actually coming to shift narratives surrounding family and uh, the loyalty that, that came with that. Uh, so the first thing I want to look at is the scribes here, and we've already talked about it a little bit. Mark, when he's, uh, when he's writing this passage, he uses something called, uh, most, most scholars call it a sandwich technique, which is just... Um, I think it's really like unfortunate name, but like it is accurate. It just sounds like very, very like simplistic. Uh, but it's the idea being like Mark is starting a story, story one, and then he sandwiches in the middle. There is a second story, and then he closes the first story at the end. So we see, hey, Jesus is having family problems. His family is trying to seize him. Let me just insert this passage real quick about him being accused of being demon-possessed. And then I'm going to go back and tell you the resolution of uh, his family problems and like sort of like where he's at with that. The whole point that Mark is like attempting to show here is that this passage in the middle, this story about Jesus and his conversation with the scribes is actually very much related to his view on family and like related to like the way that Jesus perceives family and the kingdom of God. Uh, and so we're actually going to like see that it's not just this conversation that happens, but actually is like, it's very much related to how Jesus thinks about uh, where our loyalties are and like what sort of almost the battle lines are in this case. Uh, so Mark doesn't actually comment on this, but for some quick context, Matthew's, uh, the parallel passage in Matthew describes that what Jesus has just done is he's healed a man who is demon-possessed uh, and was also blind and mute. Uh, so this person was uh, kind of had like the trifecta, really. Like they, like this person couldn't speak, couldn't see, and on top of it was like demon-possessed. Jesus like heals, uh, heals him of all of those things, and everyone in the crowd is sort of thinking. They're saying, uh, "Is this the son of David?" They're they're basically saying, "Is this the Messiah?" And the scribes are present, and so they're like, "No, no, 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 no. We can't have this. Like he's he's possessed. Like that's what's happening. Like he's possessed." Um, and I really, I really, really love how Jesus responds because it's it's very just clinically logical uh, which I super resonate with <laughs> I'm like if you know if you know me or if you've argued with me like I'm I'm very very comforted by like logic and I probably rely on it like overly so uh, I work in finance and like one of my one of my principal roles with like our company is to make sure that like we're establishing a relationship with our customers to decide how we're going to determine what our price will be and like how we're going to communicate that over time. And we're not, uh, the, the way that our business works isn't that we have uh, 
like thousands of customers, but more that we have a very few select like large customers. And so it's uh, it's really important how those like relationships get established and like how we decide, yes, this is how we're going to handle this is how we're going to handle that process. Uh, and there's been so many times where I've been on the phone with my boss and and just complaining like what they're trying to do is not logical. Like they want to set us up to fail. Like they're they're looking at this. They're they're somehow bending the rules of math, which I thought were universal. They're like they're like getting a different number because they're just choosing to do the order of operations wrong. They're like uh, they don't even like consider these three factors that are occurring. And my boss is just like, I get it. It's not logical. It's not logical at all, but like we just we have to go with it. Like it's, it's what we have to do, and I just I have a very very difficult time handling that. Uh, and thankfully, Jesus is is not like that at all. He's not like well, it's not logical, but you're just gonna have to accept it because it's true. Uh, instead, what Jesus does is he he's super logical with them, and he says, look, how can Satan cast out Satan? Right. He's saying these things are like you can't call me demon possessed if I'm casting out demons. Those are mutually exclusive. Like if if Satan was casting out Satan, then like he'd be at odds with himself. There'd be such civil war within his kingdom that it would just disappear since like since there's evidence that Satan's kingdom like still exists. He's saying like. We know Satan's kingdom exists. We can see like his power around. Therefore, like there isn't civil war within his kingdom. Therefore, if I'm casting out demons, I cannot be demon possessed. Like he's just like like lay, like let me lay it out for you like one after another that your logic, your claim doesn't make any sense because if I was demon possessed and casting out demons, then Satan's kingdom wouldn't exist. Um, and on its own, this would appear very much to just be a refutation, like him just refuting uh, the scribe's claim. Uh, but actually, because it's sandwiched between these two passages on family, it gives us an indication uh, that what he's actually trying to do is set the stage uh, by talking about kingdoms and, and a kingdom divided itself cannot stand, what he's actually trying to do is set the stage for this shift that he's going to bring about in the next few verses. So that brings us to sort of the end of the chapter, uh, verses 31 through 35, when we see his brothers, are, his brothers and his mother are standing outside and they're, they're seeking him I, I almost like just picture Jesus like I mean, he I'm sure he knew right like he knew that they were coming like he probably had heard people saying like your family think you're out of your mind like they're coming to like seize you and so he's just like almost see him just sighing like like okay like who who are my mother and my brothers like these people are my mother and my brothers family is not this biological thing. Family is actually a spiritual thing. Uh, the Bible says our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, uh, but it's actually against 
spiritual forces, uh, spiritual authorities. And Jesus is saying, like, look, our battle is a spiritual one. Our family is also a spiritual one. And in that time, family would have meant, like, loyalty to, uh, to everyone that he was speaking to. They lived in the same house, like, with their family. Probably most people would have been doing the same profession that their father did or that, like, their family had been doing for generations. Like, family was, like, this is who my allegiance, like, is to. And, I mean, even a lot of the people that he would have been speaking to, if not all of them, were Jewish and... Uh, their family would have been their tribe, like which of the twelve, uh, which of the twelve tribes they were a part of, and that held a great amount of cultural significance to them, and and he's basically saying like, well, I'm tossing that out the window, like family, in the way that you've thought about it is not is not important, allegiance in the way that you've thought about it is no longer uh, importance. Actually, can you go to Luke? Uh, another thing that he then like ends up saying, I really wanted to look at this passage really quickly. So Jesus says, uh, or this is a passage about like what it looks like to follow Jesus. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is similarly a very challenging uh, passage where, where he's like, he's saying, because Jesus believes that the natural family is good. Like he, in multiple times in Mark, will, will like call out the good of the natural family, the biological family. But the game is different now. The stakes are higher and discipleship is a higher calling is what is what Jesus is ultimately saying there's a new there's a new allegiance what you've been considering is just not important anymore in comparison to what I'm talking about now in comparison to the battle that's happening now and uh, there's a lot of fantastic Lord of the Rings references that I would use uh, but (laughs) I'm showing these movies to Tanner and Ryan at the moment, uh, and I don't want to spoil them. (laughs) Plus, knowing me, I'd probably start crying if I tried to use an example from Lord of the Rings. And uh, so instead, I I saw this as like, I mean, you you picture like the Avengers, right? Like the Marvel superheroes, and they're like prepping for a battle against some, I don't know, alien army or whatever, and uh, they're all ready to go. Uh, Iron Man's in his armor, Captain America has his shield, and Bruce Banner's like sitting at his wardrobe trying to decide what he should be wearing. 
if you know who Bruce Banner is, he's, uh, his alter ego is the Hulk. And his whole thing is that he grows huge and he just rips out of whatever clothes that he's wearing. So that I just picture like, it'd be like the, if he was doing this, they'd be like, look, the, the world is literally like crumbling right now. Like we, we get it. We want you to look good. I'm super happy that you have like this, this great wardrobe, but like we have bigger priorities at the moment. Like you're just going to rip out of these clothes anyway. And the world is literally like falling apart at the moment. Like we need to go like there, what you're considering is great, but it's just, it's not in the same stratosphere of the battle that's at hand. And uh, I think, I think this passage is actually super challenging uh, because it's simultaneously an encouragement to adjust our view on family and our view on loyalty and, and to be like, wow, Jesus views me as his brother or Jesus views me as his sister. I'm a part of the family of God. It's this encouragement, but it's also a challenge to show the same level of commitment to this family as we do to our earthly family. Like, I'm sure that, I mean, I love my family. I'm sure that we all love our family, whether it's our, like, blood family or our chosen family. And I would do just about anything. I'm sure that we all would. This is, like, an encouragement to ask ourselves the question, like, would I do the same things for Jesus as I'm willing to do for my earthly family? Do I actually believe that I'm a part of Jesus' family is, is maybe even a better question. Like, do I, do I actually, like, feel, oh, I, I'm a part of the family of God? Or is that just something that, that we tell ourselves so that it looks like we get like the whole Christianity thing where it's like, oh, I know I'm supposed to say, I know I'm supposed to say like, I'm a part of the family of God. If we really like reflect on that question, I don't know that the answer is simple uh, for most of us. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of complications there. I know there is for me, like I want to believe uh, that, that I'm like secure in knowing that I'm a part of that family and that I would do anything for it, but it's a, it it carries vast implications, I think. Uh, and then also, I want to then look at like, okay, great, Jesus is shifting the narrative. He's doing something that that no one's done before. Why? What's the point? Uh, and I I want to take us to the middle of this passage to look at that. Verse twenty seven says. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. It's really interesting. Uh, in, in Luke, the parallel passage actually has, uh, has the strong man still, but the strong man's in this suit of armor and he is bound by a stronger man. A stronger man comes and removes this armor that the strong man like trusted in uh, and and is able to then like bind the man and in this passage the strong man is is Satan we've just been talking about Satan and Satan's kingdom Satan's house 
And so now we see a strong man. The strong man here is not Jesus. The strong man is Satan. Uh, and Jesus is the stronger man who's coming to take off the strong man's armor, coming to bind the strong man and plunder his house to take all of his possessions. That's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to steal all of Satan's possessions. Um, this is actually the first time in Mark that I'm aware of uh, where we see that this is why Jesus has come. Like we've seen miracles, we've seen him perform exorcisms, we've seen him do healings, we've heard him say, I'm bringing new wine and we need new wineskins for this. And we've sort of seen him shifting the narratives, but we've never been given a hint like, okay, why, why is Jesus coming? What's his purpose? And, and this is the first time he's coming to steal. Like he's coming to, to just bind up Satan and steal everything that Satan has. Uh, verses 28 through 29 come just afterwards. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. When I read this, I'm like, this is, uh, this is intense. I think we mo most of us like have like, can, can have a tendency to just fixate on like the words like, never have forgiveness, guilty of an eternal sin and just like I, I just grip with panic uh, like have I have I done that have I committed the the sin that I can't come back from am I am I unredeemable uh, the short answer is is definitely like you probably have not um, and and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second verse 30 actually like mark explains why jesus said that it seems very like random at first like he's talking about a strong man he's talking about satan's kingdom then all of a sudden he says well hey sins uh will be forgiven but not blasphemy against the spirit it seems very random and so mark actually explains he's the only one of the three passages that explains uh jesus says this because they were saying he has an unclean spirit so actually what Mark tells us is the scribes actually just committed this unforgivable sin. The scribes, the scribes just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They, they've looked and seen the evidence of who Jesus is and they've decided, they've come to the conclusion, oh, you're evil. Uh, you, uh, your spirit is unclean. They're literally, they're looking at the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has done and saying, that's a demon. Uh, and that is, of course, like blasphemy against the Spirit. And the interesting thing about the unforgivable sin, and I think it's important to understand, it's not the reason the unforgivable sin, or like the reason that it's called the unforgivable sin is because you're being presented with evidence like, you, you've been presented with evidence as to who Jesus is, what he's come to do, and then your conclusion is then to say you're evil. The problem isn't actually even that you're like insulting Jesus or insulting the Holy Spirit. That's not it. The problem 
is that you're, you're failing to grasp the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is coming to save sins. Like that is the crux of our salvation uh, is like, can we believe that Jesus is Lord and he's actually come to save us? If you can't, if you can't believe, oh, Jesus is coming to save me, he's Lord, then you'll never be able to be saved. Like what Jesus is saying is that the scribes right now have just like, they've just bought their place in the strong man's house. They've just punched their ticket, signed their lease, like they're in the strong man's house. They've, they've decided like, this is my camp. And the only way out of that house is for Jesus to come in and bind the strong man and steal all of his possessions. Steal, in this case, his possessions are like the souls, like people, people who are a part of Satan's kingdom. Jesus is coming to steal them out of, of Satan's kingdom. And the only way that we're able to is through confessing like, the only way that we're able to be saved is confessing, like, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's come to save me. And uh, the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians, uh, verses, or 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, which is really interesting, basically saying, so if, if the confession Jesus is Lord is... Uh, the way by which we are saved, the only way that we can do that is by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is getting at here. The only way that you're able to, to say Jesus is Lord, the only way that, like, that Jesus can come and rescue you from, from the strong man's house, the only way that he can come and steal you, is is by like us partnering with Holy Spirit and and being able to confess like I see Jesus and he's Lord like I've seen the evidence he's come to save and ultimately that is what allows us to join Jesus's family like that's what allows us to leave Satan's kingdom and enter God's kingdom and that's why Jesus, like, Jesus doesn't even see the options as, like, family versus, versus Jesus, like, uh, like, natural family versus spiritual family. Jesus doesn't see that as an option because, uh, like, that's, those aren't the stakes. Those aren't the teams. It's not, oh, well, I'm going to be allegiant to my, to my biological family or I'm going to be allegiant to my spiritual family, Matthew's passage actually says, like Jesus says, if you're not, if you're not, anyone who's not with me is against me. It's not actually like, oh, well, that's all well and good, but I'm just going to stay loyal to my family that I've grown up with. Like, that's, that's not a team. You don't get to have that as a team you're then on Satan's team. Like, that's what Jesus is saying. And he also doesn't see it as, like, as this confrontation of him versus the scribes. It's not, it's not Jesus versus the scribes. I mean, 
the Bible's very clear, like, he knew, he knew what they were planning, like, Jesus knew, like, their hearts, and uh, he understood what it was that they were trying to do, but that actually wasn't at odds with his agenda, that was his agenda, like, his whole purpose was to come and die, and that's the method by which he's able to save us, that's the method that he binds up the strong man and he rescues us from his house. He's, he's very clear here. The, the battle isn't Jesus versus the scribes. It's, it's not, well, do I choose to be on my family or with my family or do I choose to be with Jesus? The, the decision you're making is, am I with Jesus or, or am I with Satan? And it's really, really like he's, he's, speaking at black and white uh, in this in this moment he's saying look you're 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 in a battle that battle is my kingdom versus the kingdom of satan that battle is the stronger man binding up the strong man and and uh, the the previous teams you thought existed they they don't exist anymore and he's also saying look we're we're not the home team here uh, like it's like my team and then the other teams against us but like the whole stands like everyone watching the game is also against us like it's it's not a home game like we're we're in the midst of like we're in the midst of the enemy's kingdom and we're here to steal the declaration of independence like that that thing that is so important to Satan, the lives, the souls, like we're here to steal what is most important to him. Not, not just steal one or two, we're here, we're here to steal like anyone that we can. So I'll close, uh, I'll close with a question. Ultimately, that's been on my mind the whole time uh, that I've been reading this passage and meditating on it. What, uh, what today is holding, is holding you back from, from joining that family? Jesus, Jesus says, like, we need to pick up our cross daily and follow him. What does that cross look like at the moment? Um, what is it that's like, I, I really want to follow you, but I need to go and bury my father. Uh, I really want to go, I really want to go with you, but I need to uh, say goodbye to everyone at my house. Uh, and I mean, it could be a number of different things for sure. I mean, the big one for me right now is like, is fear that's driving like a desire for me to cling to control over, over my life. I'm, I'm, I can hear like, it's like I'm having a conversation with God and I can hear him saying to go this way and my mind is like okay but have you have you considered like the implications of that like if I was to go that way have you thought this through like have you have you thought about like what that means for me and uh, I can just hear I can hear the voice of the father saying saying Robbie my beloved gain some perspective like you 
see things the way that like you've always seen them you see things in a very like human perspective but the battle is bigger than that my plans are bigger than that that question is is still uh is very much like real in my life right now though and and i imagine there's there's similar questions for all of us like sort of we want we want to take a step we want to be like all in yeah i'm a part of this family i'm bought in i believe uh but what's holding you back today i think that uh, we're going to have a chance right now to, to take communion which is actually a fantastic way uh to really like celebrate being a part of the family of christ and being a part of god's family uh, so i'm excited to get to break well not break bread, but uh, eat uh, pellets and (laughs) drink vinegar with you all. (laughs) 